Second Kings chapter number 4. And uh, you say, where is that in the Bible? It's right after 1 Kings, amen? And uh, right before the first book of Chronicles. So be sure and turn there, first, or 2 Kings chapter number 4. And I'd like to read just seven verses to you this morning. Uh, a little story that the Word of God gives us about a widow woman and about what God did in her life. Boy, I'm thankful the Lord's concerned in our lives, aren't you? I was thinking, as Brother Richard was singing that song, just a grain of sand in the waters in his hand. That's all we are, just a speck of dirt, just a speck of dust. But hey, God's so good that He loves us and cares for us. He didn't have to give thought to us to be God. He was God before He ever thought of us. But somewhere in the eternal heartbeat of God, our name was spoken and whispered. And I just thank the good Lord of heaven that He loves us so. Second Kings chapter number 4, the Bible says in verse number 1, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Now knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in, thy, in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors. Even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in... Thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you would just bling, uh, that you would uh, bless your word this morning, that you'd sanctify it in our hearts, Lord, that you'd do in us what only you can do. God, I pray that you'd give me the unction and power that's needful in the preaching. Lord, direct my words. I pray they'd be swift and concise. And Lord, that they'd be powerful, not because they're mine, but because they're yours. Lord, if there's some amongst us lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary. But Lord, I pray more than anything this morning that you would show us as believers our greater need of the Holy Ghost in our life. Father, we love you this morning, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As you read this story in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, most of you have probably read it and heard it before. You may have been taught it in Sunday school when you were young. And I too was taught this lesson many, many times, this story many, many times. But you know, it's a great tragedy that many times the stories in the Word of God become just that to us, nothing but stories. Because when I read this uh, little story, this little narrative in the book of Second Kings, I find a parallel to the Christian life. You see, the Bible tells us this of this young woman, or we assume she is uh, not uh, elderly. We do not know that. But uh, this woman whose husband has died, she has two sons, and he has left her uh, in great bankruptcy uh, with mountains of debt. Something must be done, and she's at her wit's end. And she goes to the man of God. She says, you must do something for me. I've got to get out from debt. They're threatening to take my sons into slavery to be bondmen. You've got to do something for us. And Elisha looks at this woman and says, well, what do you have? 
And let me say that uh, I believe a lot of times when we come to trials in our life, we're looking for God to give us some new thing when God looks at us and says, what have you already got? You see, this woman had everything she needed right there within her. She just had to know how to access it. Now, I'm not saying that we have some kind of guiding light. I'm not saying there's some kind of uh, intrinsic force to human nature. The Bible teaches that we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But listen, if you've been born again, God's put something inside you and it's exactly everything that you need. As we read this passage, uh, you, you may be struck with the word picture that's used here. Why is oil significant in this passage. Well, you'll find as you study through the Word of God that oil many times typifies the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Over and over again, you'll find through the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is typified in the oil that is used to anoint the king or the high priest or the prophet. And all through the Word of God, you'll find that oil pictures the Holy Ghost. And as I read this passage, I was struck by this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, you know what uh, the Bible's saying there in the book of Ephesians? A lot of people read that and they think, oh, well, uh, you know, the Bible's telling us we can drink wine but not be drunk with wine. You know, that does nothing but show how carnal we are. Because you know what Paul's saying in that passage? He is laying those two things opposite of each other. And he's saying the world gets happiness through the reveling of the flesh. But you as believers, you're not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess. You're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I say to you, when I see the beer commercials on TV, you know what crosses my mind? I'm not saying I'm super spiritual. I'm just saying the Lord's taught me this. I see that and I think to myself, how sad that that's the only joy they can get out of life. I remember hearing old Lester Olaf say one time, he said, you know, I drink as much as I want to. He said, and I, and, and I go out and I corral and, and I run around on my spouse as much as I want to. He said, and I cuss as much as I want to. He said, the difference between me and you is the Lord changed my want to. Amen. Uh, let me tell you something. A liquor bottle can't give me the joy that I've got in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to say here. Paul is not saying, oh, well, drink a little wine, but, uh, you know, go, don't get drunk with wine. That shows how carnal we are that we'd focus on that portion of the verse. He's saying, no, instead of finding your joy uh, in an empty bottle, why don't you find it in the, fill, the fullness of the Holy Ghost? You see, when I see this woman, I see a woman, three things very quickly about her, just by way of introduction. I see a woman that was probably very godly. The Bible says she was the wife of one of the sons of the prophets. A very unique thing was taking place in the time of Elijah and Elisha. There was a school of the prophets that was built. A place that was supposed to be a training center for uh, young men and those that would uh, endeavor to serve God uh, in the fullness of their life. And this woman was the wife of one of these men. No doubt she had probably lived very piously her whole life. No doubt she probably knew what it was to be separated. No doubt, I mean, this was the kind of woman, listen to me now, this was the kind of woman that would have been there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. She would have been at every meeting. She would have had the right Bible. She would have dressed the right way. She was probably a very godly woman. But we see, in spite of her godliness, that she was a grieving woman because her husband died. Do you know, even when we serve God, bad things still happen to us sometimes. I mean, that's just a fact of life. Listen, I, I mean, I'm sorry if you heard some TV preacher get on the television and tell you that if you loved God, nothing that bad would ever happen to you. I'm sorry if somebody told you that. That's just not the fact and the truth of it. 
You read the Word of God, and the Bible says, uh, Yea, and all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible goes through in Hebrews chapter number 11 and lists off to us some of the heroes of the faith. And there at the end of the passage, it don't even uh, call them by name anymore. It just says that some of them were hid in caves, some of them were murdered, some of them were sawn asunder, and says of whom the world was not worthy. In other words, these were the servants of God, and yet they met with persecution. The fact is, you're going to face difficulties in time uh, in your life. But we see that not only was she godly and grieving, but this is the sheer truth of it. She was greatly lacking something. Can I say to you that there's a lot of people that love God, but they're missing something in the Christian walk. There's a lot of people that are doing all the right things, it seems, but they're missing something in the Christian walk. They know how to look. They know how to act. They know what to say. They know all the particulars and all the formalities of appearing as a Christian. And to tell you the truth, they even know God. They've been saved. But there's still something greatly lacking in their life. What was it this woman needed? You see, it was great that she was a godly woman, and that's wonderful. Listen, I mean, if you have standards, God bless you. I recommend that to you. I mean, that's wonderful. I think we ought to be separate from the world. Don't you? I think we ought to live like a Christian. I think we ought to look different and act different. I think we ought to smell different if it's possible. Amen? That's one thing I've gotten down pat. <laughs> I think we ought to be different from the world. I recommend that to you, but don't think that standards without the Spirit of God is going to mean anything in your life. You can be uh, have all the standards in the world. You can live in such a way that people treat you differently. They treat you with persecution, and that doesn't mean anything. Uh, you'll find all the time, I mean, they go up and down the road on bicycles all the time, and up and down the road knocking on doors all the time, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witness. And listen, the, the greatest thing in a Mormon's mind that you can do to them is call them a name or slam a door in their face because they revel in that persecution. They believe in that persecution. That's attaining them some sort of reward in heaven. Uh, and let me tell you something. Uh, just because they're living that way, that doesn't mean a thing in God's eyes. You can live in such a way that people look at you and say, Oh, what a great Christian, and still be missing something in your life. That's what we see in her life. This was not a bad woman. This was not a woman that didn't love God. This wasn't an immoral woman. This was a woman that most people would have looked at and said, there is a fine, upstanding Christian. But at the end of the day, there was a need that she had that was not met yet. I want you to notice four things in her life very quickly. Notice first off her plight. I want you to notice the bereavement that she must have felt. Uh, If you've ever lost a spouse, then you understand in a way that those of us that haven't never can. Uh, We see that she, all of a sudden, her life was crashing down around her. She was facing a grief and a torment and a sorrow that she had never faced before. Her husband, who very well could have been her everything. I mean, if she is one of the wives of the sons of the prophets, she was probably living in that community with the prophets. Her whole life was based around ministry, based upon his life and who he was. Now, all of a sudden, he's gone. And she's left in her sorrow. Do you know that there's going to be times in our life, listen to me, that the battle of grief and sorrow is going to be so great, there's no way we can face it without the help of the Spirit of God. In other words, let me put it this way. We find in this passage that she's battling the flesh. You know, the Bible gives us three enemies that we have, every believer. And that is the flesh, the world, and the devil. The flesh is that part of us that would seek to control us contrary to God. That part of us that seeks to encourage us to do the wrong thing. That part of us that drives us contrary 
to the Word and the will of God. And let me tell you something. I'm not saying it was wrong for her to grieve. I'm saying that she had a choice that she had to make. Was she going to let her grief dominate her? She was facing something she had never faced before. And I think she needed oil for that day because of the grief that she was going to face. We see because of the bereavement that she felt, but I think also because of the bankruptcy that she fretted. The Bible teaches us that her husband had left her with many debts. And a creditor was breathing down her neck over these debts. I believe this pictures for us the world. The pull, the influence, the drive that the world has over the believer. You know, I was talking this morning in Sunday school. Uh, the Bible says that we're to be in this world, but not to be of this world. Uh, the Bible says when Christ had the option, He could have prayed that the Father would take us out of this world or that He'd keep us from this world. And you know what He said? He said, uh, Father, I pray not that Thou shouldest take them from the world, but that Thou shouldest keep them from the world. In other words, we're to be in this world, but not be of this world. Let me tell you something. I, I grieve for some of our young people today, the environment they're having to grow up in. And listen, when I grow, grew up was a lot worse than when a lot of you grew up. But, I mean, it is astounding just in the past 10 or 15 years the pull that the world has on so many of our young people. Now, let me tell you something. Our young people aren't going to be able to stem the tide of worldly influence without the indwelling and filling of the Holy Ghost in their life. And as parents... Listen, and some of you are saying, well, preacher, I go to church. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about being filled with the Spirit of God. Some of you are saying, preacher, I, listen, I mean, you know, I, I try to keep my kids from doing things that are wrong. I try to keep them from bad friends. I'm not talking about keeping them from bad friends. I'm talking about you being filled with the Holy Ghost. See, this woman needed oil so that she could pay her debts. You know what's interesting? You know what's interesting? You and I used to owe a sin debt, the Bible teaches. We owed a debt. We couldn't pay that debt. The Bible teaches that Christ Jesus died on the cross of Calvary to pay that debt. Well, who was that debt owed to? That debt was owed to two people. One was death, and the other was the devil. We were his children. We belonged to him. But Christ bought us lock, stock, and barrel and redeemed us from that damnation. But you know something interesting? I don't know if you've ever had anything go out... To, uh, to a collections company. You ever had anything? Well, don't raise your hand to that now. Everybody get embarrassed. I'll tell one on me. There's been times we have, and we're, we're not bad with our money, but listen, there's, they'll call you and say, hey, you know, this check that you wrote and have proof for, and you put it in the hands of the cashier at the register, and you paid it, we didn't get it. Amen? <laughs> and they'll, uh, they'll all of a sudden, you know, a lot of times, even after you've rectified that debt, the creditor will still come along and try to collect from you. You know, that's the situation that we have today. Our debt's been paid. We've been redeemed. But the devil comes along and he still tries to redeem that debt. And he still tries to come along and say, you still owe me something. And you know how he does it? He sneaks along beside us. And you know what he says? He says, you're not as good as you think you are. You're just a rotten sinner. Uh, you're just, hey, listen, if you were saved, you wouldn't live the way that you do. And I'd say that my salvation is not dependent upon the way I live. It's dependent upon the finished work of Christ on Calvary. We see that the world was pulling at her. But then we see that the devil was pulling at her. We see the bondage that she feared. She said, if I don't pay these debts, this creditor is going to come and take away my sons. Let me tell you something. I thought we had that fixed, didn't you, Brother Ralph? Boy, the devil hates that thing, don't he? Some of you are saying, ain't the devil, it's bad equipment. 
And I'd say to you, as someone that's been involved in uh, audio stuff, that the devil's in bad equipment. Amen. <laughs> but uh, we see that the devil was coming along and trying, the creditor was coming along and trying to steal this woman's sons. Let me tell you something. Future generations depend upon us walking with Christ. You see, it wasn't her that was going to pay. It was her sons that were going to have to pay. And let me tell you something. The devil plays the long game, even though Christians try to play the short game. We think that if we can just live in a godly way for the bulk of our life, if we can do all right, if we can manage, I mean, not be totally sold out for Christ, but just kind of go along and, uh, you know, not be as good as we can be, but at least be better than the guy next to us, that that's going to be sufficient. Let me tell you something. Our children deserve nothing less than for their parents to be 100% sold out Christians. And it'll take that, too. We got them in a church that preaches the Bible, preacher, and uh, I agree with you. I do my best to preach the Bible. We've got them in a church that's not contemporary, it's not worldly, and I say, uh, by the grace of God, we're not contemporary and we're not worldly. But let me tell you something, it's not enough. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to make a difference in their lives. <clears throat> what I'm trying to get you to understand is that just for her to battle these three enemies, she had to have oil. Just for her to stem the tide, she had to have it. Just for her to save her children, she had to have it. She needed to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're going to come into challenges. You're going to come into battles with your flesh that you won't win unless you're filled with it. Not just indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to come into battles with your flesh and if you're not walking with God, you're going to lose. You've got to get this through your mind, and I've got to get it through mine. That it's half-hearted, apathetic, comfortable, absolutely laid-back Christianity that the world is promoting is not going to cut it if we're going to live for Jesus Christ. It's not going to do it. It's not enough just to have some of it. We've got to be filled with it. It's not enough just for the Spirit of God to dwell us. He's got to absolutely saturate us. We see her plight. But notice her plea. The Bible says that Elisha, and this is interesting, be careful as you read the Word of God that you notice everything that God said. Because there is an exchange that takes place that is implied, but is not necessarily, it's implicit, but it's not explicit. We find that Elisha comes to her and says to her, what shall I do for this? Now, there's no answer given immediately following that. We just have Elisha's next question, which is, what is in the house? So, in other words, he asks her, what do you want me to do? And she expresses her concern. In other words, she made her petition unto Elisha. Now, we see that the first thing she did when she realized that she didn't have the oil she needed. Listen, I hope there's nothing else. I hope I can get us to understand that there's a level of Christianity that most of us are not walking in. Uh, I, I want us to understand that there is a closeness to Christ that most of us are not walking in. I want us to long for something greater. Yeah. I'll get back to preaching my outline for a second. Let me plead my heart to you. I want us to understand how important it is that it's half in, half out, and you've got to cut it. I want us to get it through our minds that literally generations are depending upon us. Yeah. Not someone 100 years ago or 1,000 years Depending upon us to live for Jesus Christ. Your children and grandchildren, they need that from you. 
It's not just well, they might turn out better if I let. No, they will turn out better, and that's the only way they're going to turn out wrong. It's going to take more than casual Christianity to make a difference. We're going to have to get serious about this. And once she realized she didn't have enough oil, you know what she did? She went and talked to the man of God. Now, I'm not lifting myself up here. I think Elijah, in many ways, pictures God for us. Not because he's perfect. We know he wasn't perfect. But just as a, as a shadow, as a picture, I believe in this story, Elijah kind of represents God. And what she did was she made her case before Elijah. You know the first thing you do when you realize that you need something more in your life? You go and you pray about it. You go to the Lord. You talk to Him about it. Let me tell you something. Most of us, the whole reason uh, that we're not walking closer to God than we should is because we won't pray. Yeah. If we get over this thing of prayer, if we'd really conquer it, it'd be amazing what God would do in our lives. Yeah. If we quit letting every little silly thing distract us and get down to business, get serious about prayer, it'd be amazing what God could do. If we would quit getting distracted by all the power, Chuck, there's move that thing. I've been doing it for months now. I just have to put on my ears when I go to do that, I guess. I'm not used to it not being there. I'm glad it's there instead of here. It bugs me to death. Some of you say, preacher, it makes, me, it, makes it hard listening to you while you got that. And I say, it's hard to preach while I got that thing in. And yeah, so we're both glad it's gone. Well, let me tell you something. If we get serious about this matter of prayer, it would be amazing what God can do. Yeah, some of us, listen, and, and I don't, far be it from me to be judge and jury over anyone's life. But let me just put it this way. I've seen a lot of families where parents have said, I don't know what went wrong. And I can tell them what went wrong. Casual Christianity is what went wrong. Sunday morning only Christianity is what went wrong. Listen, our children are bombarded by the world all week. Why would we think that we could fix it with three hours in the house of God? It's going to take more than that. It's going to take more than even what you can get inside the church house. It's going to take God in your home. It's going to take parents starting to be what God intended them to be. You know who was the priest before the uh, Levitical priesthood was instituted? The daddy was the priest of each home. And I, I think it's about time that we as daddies get to the place where we start seeing ourselves as being some kind of instrument of trying to get our kids closer to God. Some means of teaching them the Word of God. Showing them the person of God. Trying to do something to get them closer to God in their lives. Instead, we've got this mentality, I'll take you to church and the church will take care of that. The church don't replace the home, friend. They don't replace the home. The Christian school don't replace the home. Homeschooling don't replace the home. Nothing replaces the influence of the home in the child's life. It must be in the home. We see her concern, but I want you to notice not only her concern, notice her confession. We see that Elisha says to her, says, uh, what shall I do for thee? Well, evidently she told him. She said, I need oil. I need more of God. I need more of the Spirit of God in my life. And he says, well, what do you have in the house? And we see her confession. She said, I don't have anything, Elisha, other than one pot of oil. She was confessing two things by doing that. One, she was confessing her own inability, her own insufficiency. She was saying, Elisha, I don't have what I need. Elisha, I'm not measuring up. Elisha, something's wrong in my home. 
You'll never get your home right until you're willing to admit it's wrong. You'll never get your kids right until you're willing to admit that they're wrong. You'll never get your own life right until you're willing to admit that it's wrong. That's where it begins. You see, before God could do anything in this woman's life, she had to admit that she needed something done in her life. And that's where most of us get tripped up. I say it too many times, I sound like a broken record, but I just let this record break on because it needs to be said. Most people are dying and going to hell not because they don't want to save you, but because they don't want to admit they're a sinner. They want to save you without themselves being a sinner. Well, it don't work that way, friend. If you need a Savior, it's because you are a sinner. People don't mind the idea of this meek Galilean Jesus. They don't want to admit that they're born into sin and they're born sinners and they need Christ's salvation. The same thing is true even after we're saved. You see, we want God to move. We want God to move us, but to do that, we have to admit that we're in the wrong place in the beginning. We want God to fix us, but to do that, we've got to admit that we're broken in the first place. We want God to heal us, but first we've got to admit that we're wounded in the first place. She admitted her insufficiency. But then notice this, and she didn't even know she was doing it, but she confessed God's all-sufficiency. Isn't it interesting that God had her to bring empty vessels? Now, if you or I were doing that, you know what we would have done? If we had been God, we would have said, okay, well, go and borrow all the oil that you can from your neighbors, and then, you know, maybe you can pay your debts. That's not what God said. God said, I don't want you to bring an extra drop of oil into this home. I'm going to provide for you out of what you already have. Let me tell you what the church is doing today. The church is going and trying to get everyone else's oil instead of looking to the oil that's already within. Uh, We don't need entertainment to save sinners. We don't, listen, we don't need rock concerts to save sinners. We don't need that. And, and I, listen, I, I'm not opposed to trying to do things, draw people in. I mean, we have youth events, we have all kinds of stuff. I, I mean, it, I, I remember one preacher said it this way, and I kind of agree with this. He said, if your church is having a cockfight, you ought to be there with a showing rooster. I mean, listen, I, I think we all support the church. I think we ought to do what we can to get people in. I'm not opposed to that. But I'm really saying this. Don't look to that to change lives. Because only the work of the Spirit of God can change lives. We see her compliance. Life says, go and borrow all the empty vessels you can find. Get everything. If it's a shoebox, get it from your neighbor. Just anything you can find. Get everything. You know what she did? She did it. Let me tell you, there's some of us that we get we get tripped up because we don't want to admit there's a need. But some of us get tripped up because we don't agree with the plan. Yeah. We don't want to go to God, some of us, and admit that something's wrong. I mean, listen, our children living and looking like the world and acting like the world. Our loved ones dying and going to hell. Our families generationally just getting further and further and further from God. And we don't want to admit that something's wrong. Because we have to admit that we were wrong. But those of us that are willing to, there's another place to get tripped up. And that's where God says, this is what you do to fix it. And we say, no, I don't want to do that, Lord. Let me tell you something. The same thing that's always worked still works. Most of you women probably have somewhere in your kitchen a bottle of what? Oil. Still works that call these years, doesn't it? Oh, you might use a pan or Crisco, or if you're really holy, you might use butter, amen? But 
That oil, nothing replaces that oil. It's a staple. Let me tell you something. The Spirit of God is a staple in our lives, yes, in our homes, our families, in our churches. We can't do without it. Right. You wouldn't have found a Middle Eastern home without oil unless it was abandoned. If anybody lived there, the oil had to be there. And so you know what she did? She said, Elisha, if that's what you say will work, I believe that will work. Let me tell you something. Most of the people that have raised the flag on old-time Christianity have never even tried it. Let me say it again. I don't think we understood. Most of the people that have raised the white flag on Bible preaching, on soul winning, on prayer, on consecrated living, most of the people will sit there and wring their hands and say, Oh, preacher, we live in a different time. That don't work anymore. You know, we got to have fog machines and the lasers and we got to have concerts and uh, we got to do this and we got They've never even tried it. You say, How do you know they haven't tried it? If they tried it, they won't be saying that. It does work. Prayer still works. I mean, I mean, fervent prayer still works. Now, this half-hearted prayer that some of us have, where we only pray for something when it's mealtime or we're out in public, that ain't going to work. But real Holy Ghost prayer that the Bible prescribes, it still works. Yeah, it that King James Bible, it still works. Yeah, it still works. It's still good. It's been good for 400 years. Now, all of a sudden, people can't understand it. That's foolishness, friend. Yes, That's foolishness. People say, well, there's words in it I don't understand. Yeah, the problem are on the newspaper, too. Yeah. No matter <laughs> you read on. You let the context dictate it. Amen. You. you get a dictionary. You just you figure out what it means when it comes to the Bible. And, and let me tell you why. Because we don't want this book changing us. That's why we're going to all these new versions. You see, those other versions, they don't change us. We change it. This book changes us. That's why we hate it the way that we do it. That's why humanity kicks against it. Because it shows us for what we are. And we say, we've got to change it so we don't look so bad. Take the blood out. Take the holiness of Christ out. Take, take that title. You won't believe how many of these new versions that took the word Lord out. Amen. Sounds like somebody's got a problem with authority, don't you? Yeah. Amen. Don't you think so? Yeah. We tried to do everything else. You know what she did? She said, well, I should. You said that'll work. I'll leave that word. I'll go. I'll do that. We've got to say, Lord, whatever it takes in my life, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. It, hey, if it means being in church three times a week, you feel that it every time. Amen. Instead of just one time a week, that's what it'll take. Yeah. Are your kids worth that to you? Are your grandkids worth that to you? Is Christ worth that to you? I know it ain't popular. I get that. I understand that. You say, preacher, we got some people in here that only come on Sunday morning. Well, duh. <laughs> And I'm saying it's going to take more than that. Yeah. You're satisfied with that. That's your business. I'm not your daddy. I'm not your principal. I'm not your parent. But I'm, I'm here to speak truth to you. You understand? And I'm telling you the truth that it's going to take more than that. Yeah. It's going to take more than that if we're going to live for Christ. If we're going to fight the flesh, the world, and the devil, it's going to take more than that. Get, hey, friend, get mad at me if you wish, if you will. But I'm speaking truth to you this morning. Amen. And I'm speaking truth in love. So how, how do I know it's in love, preacher? Because I wouldn't be speaking if it wasn't in love. Yeah. All right, now listen, there ain't nothing beneficial about just getting a bunch of people ruffled up at you. It'd be a lot easier just to go ahead and just smile and shake hands and go on. But I love you, so I'm trying to tell you the truth. It's going to take more than that. Yeah. What if God says to you, 
It's going to take reading your Bible every single day. Yeah. What if God says to you, it's going to take getting low in the prayer closet? Yeah. What if God says to you, it's going to mean getting this out of your home? Getting that out of your home? Is it worth it to you? Will you comply with what God asks of you? We're all, hey, listen, we're all used to, you can say, free white and 21. Now that's politically incorrect, I guess. Yeah. But we're all our own people. We make our own decisions. Ain't nobody going to make anybody do anything. I'm just asking if it's worth it to you. I'm asking you if you need the oil that bad. Do you want it that bad? Do you want to walk with Christ that bad? you want to see souls saved? Do you want it that bad? Do you want to see your family grow in the Lord? Do you want it that bad? If you don't, you'll make your decision. And I'm going to love you anyway. And everybody around here is going to love you anyway. But I'm speaking truth to you because I love you. It's going to take more than that. It's going to take something more. We see her plea. Don't you notice her plan? I find three interesting things about it. I want you to notice, first off, it requires surrender. She had to give every vessel she could find with her out. Every one. It's often puzzled me as I read this passage what God is trying to teach us in her going to her neighbor's house and getting vessels from them. Because vessels, typically in the Word of God, they picture for us our life or portions of our life. And, you know, and as, I, as I've read that, I thought, well, we're getting portions of other people's life. That doesn't click. And then it dawned on me. As I read this passage, what it means is everything we can get our hands on, that's what we ought to be pouring the Spirit of God into. Every facet, every portion of our life. You understand, it takes only one portion that you're holding back from God to keep you from being full of the Holy Ghost. Only one. Some of you, you've surrendered so much to the Lord, but still you're lacking. Why? You've got that one golden calf somewhere, stowed away. You've got that one thing in your life. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your finances. I don't know what it is. It ain't my business what it is. I'm just saying it's a curse surrendering everything. Everything. wasn't a portion. Yeah, you know what casual Christianity says about that? Casual Christianity says, well, I can't believe God would ask that much of somebody. You know why casual Christianity thinks that way? Because they think so much of themselves. Yes, yeah. You see, when we acknowledge that we're just nothing but filthy, rotten sinners, lost and undone, worthless and helpless and hopeless, if God asks for all of us, we look towards heaven and say, oh, Lord, you can have all of me if I can have all of you. Yeah. I'm happy to give you my everything. But then when we start thinking we're somebody special, when we start thinking, well, we're really somebody, when we start doing that, then we start holding back on God. Because we think, well, you know, because you know what it does? You know what John said? John said this about Christ. He must increase. I must decrease. You know what happens when we increase? He decreases. Right. You know why a lot of us, we won't sell out for Jesus Christ? We let ourselves increase and we think a lot of who we are. Yeah. <laughs> and by virtue of the process of it, he has decreased. We don't think as much of him as we used to. Remember when you first got saved? And you just couldn't believe that God loved somebody like you. Then a little time passed and you started to understand why God loved somebody like you. And then a little more time passed, and you started to think to yourself, well, no wonder God loves somebody like me. 
Now maybe you've got a place in your life and you say, well, of course God loves somebody like me. I deserve it. Let me tell you something. That's, that's the antithesis of Calvary. Calvary dictates us that though, though we were worthless, there was somebody that wanted us and cared for us. And we ought to give them our everything. We see that it requires surrender. But notice, secondly, it requires solitude. Elisha said, I want you to get alone. It's you and your sons. I want you to shut the door. Because it's behind the closed door that God always works. Some of us won't ever see God do great things if we won't get behind the closed door. We won't make the time. I'm guilty of that. Can I confess my faults to my brethren? Can I do that this morning without you judging me? I mean, maybe some of you are thinking, why do you beat us down? Why do you beat me down? Is that okay? I'm guilty of that at times. I struggle with it. I, I, you have to fight. You remember what the Bible says in the Old Testament when it's talking about the battle of a place called Selah? It says they, they took it by war. You know that word Selah is used in the book of Psalms, and it's a musical word, and it denotes a pause for meditation. And you know what that passage is teaching us? Sometimes those pauses for meditation, for communion with God, they have to be taken by war. I don't mean physical war, external war. I mean spiritual war. I mean it's a battle sometimes to get alone. It's a battle to spend time alone with God. We have every excuse and every reason why we don't have to. But that won't fill the old pot screen. Your excuses may be good enough for you. By the way, you know I've never found one of my own excuses that wasn't good enough for me. Isn't that interesting? I've never found one of my own excuses to not be good enough for me. All of my excuses for not doing something for Christ, they're always good enough for me. And you know what I found? I found that all of my excuses for not serving Christ, if I can find somebody else not serving Christ, that excuse is always good enough for them too. You see, there is a sort of a don't ask, don't tell mentality about our Christian walks. I'll turn my blind eye to your apostasy if you'll turn your blind eye to my apostasy. I won't say anything about your backsliddenness if you won't say anything about my backsliddenness. Let me tell you something. It's that mentality that sends our Christian walks straight down into the gutter. Why do you think the Lord sent his disciples out two by two? You know what he said why he sent them out? He said, that way if one of you falls in the ditch, the other one can get you out. Yeah. There's something to be said for accountability. Someone to come along beside you and say, hey, I noticed you're slipping. And I love you and I don't want you to slip. Let me encourage you to do the right thing. But you know what we do in this day that we live in? Instead of doing that, we come along and we say, if you won't talk about me, I won't talk about you. You won't point out my problems, I won't point out your problems, and the problems go unsolved. We all walk around with empty vessels, happy because no one's being judgmental, and never concerned that the God of heaven is displeased with our life. It took solitude, you had to get alone. But notice that it took saturation. This is what I want you to gather. You don't get anything else. What was in that pot was sufficient if it would be poured. What was in her pot was sufficient 
if she'd only pour it. We're going all around the world trying to find answers to our heartaches and headaches. We're going all we're A-list and churches are trying, they're hiring CEOs and uh, business managers to come in and try to fix their broken churches. They're trying to do everything they can to figure out what the problem is. And they don't realize that what they've got in their pot is enough to fill on the court. You know what Christ said in the book of John chapter number 4? He said to the woman at the well, that if you drink of the water that I shall give you, it shall be in you a well of water springing up in everlasting life. In other words, this drink will become a well from which you can drink indefinitely. The same truth is here. That pot of oil, Miss Woman, is enough for you. You'll only start to pour. In other words, the Spirit of God is enough if we'll just give Him control in our lives. He's enough. We don't need to be running everywhere else to everything else. Listen, I'm not opposed to people getting help. I people have asked me before, preacher, are you against, you know, like, like, you know, med- like head medication, you know, people try to let, no, most people I don't need to be on more medication. <laughs> I'm not against that. People say, well, are you opposed to people going to get, you know, marriage counseling or, or a psychiatrist or a therapist? That's your business and not mine. I think a lot of them are quacks, but we're quacks too, so maybe they can relate. But let me just simply put it this way. Don't think you're ever going to get the final answer from anyone other than Jesus Christ. You may get help and more power to you. I'm not, I'm not opposing you in that. I'm merely saying nothing can replace the peace of God. Nothing. If that's not there, fix every problem you want to. I mean, listen, you can bring in the Lord, you can bring in the pan, you can bring in the butter, but nothing's going to replace the oil. You've got to have the oil. Finally, we see for plenty. And I'm just going to run through it as quick as I can. I want you to notice first off that the oil was available. It was there if she'd only, if she'd only get it. It's there. I want you to get that. It's there. This Christian walk that, ever, that, that you hear people talk about and write about, it's there if you'll only get it. This closeness to Christ that you know you should have that you won't endeavor and pursue, it's there. It's there. It's available. All that you need is available to you. You know what the Bible says about Christ? says that He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We have everything we'll ever need in Jesus Christ. It's there. The oil you need to fix your marriage is there. The oil that you need to straighten your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids out, it's there. The oil that you need to give you the peace that you long for. It's there. It's available. We find out not only is it available, we find out that it's adequate. She just kept filling them up, kept filling them up, kept filling them up. And by the way, you know how you really get full of the Spirit of God? Don't look at the vessels that you've already filled. Look at the ones that need to be filled. In other words, don't look at the areas of your life where you think you've conquered. Look at the area of your lives that need to be conquered. Don't look at the things that you've given to Christ. Look at the things that need to be given to Christ. You know why we stop? We look over and see all these full vessels and think, all right, that lasts me forever. Oh, but it goes quicker than you think. 
we see that it, she just kept filling and filling and filling. Finally, she just reached back and said, Son, give me another! And he said, There's no more. You're full. There's no more. You're full. You're filled. You have all that you can take. You see, the oil was adequate. But I want you to notice finally that the oil was abundant. <laughs> you know what he said? He said, take that oil and go and sell it. He said, pay your debts. And then you and your children live off it for the rest of your life. Let me tell you something. You know what we find? She got her oil filled because of her tragedy. But once it was full, she said, this will do me for the rest of my life. You know what you'll find if you'll really sell out to Jesus Christ? You may be going through something that you just never imagined. I found out that the deepest wounds that we suffer are in places that no one ever sees. And the heartaches that we face that hurt the most very rarely does anyone know about it other than us. You may be going through things that's bringing you to a breaking point. Good. Once he breaks you, he can remake you. You may feel empty and run out. Good. You're at a place where he can fill you. And he's willing to do it. But you know what you'll find? If it's good in the storm, it's good in the sunshine. If it, listen, if it meets your needs in the valley, it'll meet your needs on the mountaintop. She found out when she filled up these vessels of oil, she had enough to live the rest of her life on. She said, I'm never going to do without again. Some of you, if you just get a taste, you'd say, I'm never going to do without again. We're scared, though, aren't we? We're scared God's going to take more away from us than we want to give. Let me remind you, it doesn't belong to you. Your life doesn't belong to you. Your family doesn't belong to you. Your friends, on and on and on we could go. Nothing. The Bible says naked we came into this world. It says we can take nothing with us. I used to always say, I came into this world naked. And if I plan things right, I'm going to go out of this world naked too. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, if you get a taste, you're scared, though. What are you scared of God for? What are you scared He's going to take away from you? Your sin? Yeah, He's going to take your sin away from you and give you joy. What are you scared He's going to change you into one of those fanatic coots? Better than being a dead religious person. What are you scared of? You're on the edge. Why won't you plunge? You're right there at it. What's holding you back? If you don't get a taste, you find out it'd be enough. You'd find out if you really live the Spirit-filled life, you'd find out you'd never want to live any other way again. It's not saying you won't falter and fail. It's not saying you won't make mistakes. But you'll find out. You know what the song says? Oh, taste and see, because the Lord is good. And I'd say this morning, whatever your need is, I'd say there's oil to fill. And there's a greater level, there's a greater life you can be living. Well,